Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well-being. Welcome guest. This is your host, Jessica Stipe. Last week, we've released part one of Let's Protect Florida Together. This week, I ask you to tune in to listen to part two of this episode with special guest Chuck O'Neill, where we continue to discuss how to protect Florida's natural resources. We hope you enjoy. We have to really start changing the way we live right now. And you spoke of lawns. I mean, that's that's a major impact uh, on our rivers because it that fertilizer we, we put fertilizer down the grass turns green but the vast majority of that fertilizer works its way down through the soil into the aquifer and yep. and out into the into the rivers if there is one thing that the average person could do who, who d- doesn't want to go and stand up in front of a podium right? right believe me i've talked to a lot of people they're like no, Chuck, you go speak. <laughs> you tell me what I can do on this end, I'll, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll watch. I'll watch on the Florida Channel or what have you. But our lawns are just like a microcosm of the entire state. We we load these lawns with with fertilizer and pesticide, and then we pull water from the aquifer to water them and keep them green. There is a very large body of regulations and laws concerning homeowners associations and and, uh, the requirements that they set where everybody feels that pressure to oh I've got to have my lawn the best in in the whole neighborhood and it's got to be so green and I've yeah uh, yeah it's become I don't know it's 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 like this this overwhelming urge in Florida to have the greenest lawn on the street and if we continue that we tear down the forest, we put in these houses, we bring in these lawns that are toxic to wildlife and to the birds that are eating the worms. And where where do we wind up? You know, where we kill off the pollinators, the bees, the worms that the, that the birds eat. We, I don't want to sound, you know, too uh, dramatic here, but what is the end product of that world? It's the end of us. Uh, it is. I mean, it, it, every day. And that's just the reality of it. Yeah, you, you know, Houston, Houston, I'd hear much about bees, right? And the Not pollinators. And you'd see a bee, and it's like, oh, whatever. And and now, you know, I saw a, a single bee the other day, and I'm like, thank God, here's a bee. You right. know, I'm glad there's one. There's one. Here, here and here's. But there are a lot of people who have realized this. And, you know, I would say to people, Let's make a deal, right? You want that perfect lawn in your front your front yard. You know, set aside a little portion of it so you get your nice little putting green green lawn. But let's plant some deep rooted plants around it to to dress it up. And in the in the backyard, how about some native plants? Let's uh, let's grow some native plants and and uh, something for for the pollinators that they can keep them alive. You know, let's make the backyard a, a nice wildlife habitat. 
People don't have to see it from the street. You know, if you don't like that kind of look, I personally would would rather see uh, a backyard full of, you know, bees and, and pollinators and butterflies yeah. and uh, birds and things like that than a desert of green. I right? agree. And some people don't even realize the benefits that, you know, you can have edible landscapes. Well, you can have eco-friendly landscapes that are not edible, and there's things that you can do to, to make that happen. But you can have edible landscapes that serve a dual purpose. They're beautiful. They provide a place for our worms and our bees to come in and eat. But also, you're providing food for your family or whether it's a neighbor or, you know, however you want to do it. If you want to give it away, if you want to eat it yourself or consume it yourself. I think so many people discredit having edible landscapes. I think it's just, it's a great answer to, okay, you want a beautiful lawn? Great. But there's also things that you can plant that have a second purpose than just being pretty or, or whatever the case may be. And like I said, I think even though, like you said, the homeowners associations put so much pressure on people that, you know, oh, your, your grass has to be cut to this length and it has to be this color. And I think that it, it takes people like us even going around and educating the homeowners associations on the benefits of eco-friendly lawn care and the importance of it and the value of it. And I think that, you know, if you get enough people to listen and truly understand that and get behind the cause, then it could really make a change. Yeah. And I was looking through some of your recent podcasts. Yes. Uh, talking about that. And, you know, I, th- I think it's a great service to the average homeowner to talk to them about things that they can do with their own land and how they can benefit from it and eat from their own land. You know, these again are things that we're rediscovering that, you know, my grandparents' generation that that lived through the Great Depression, of course, yeah, of course we're going to use our land to grow vegetables. You know, why why would we not do that? And uh, there's so much that, that we could be doing with our quarter acre lots out there that, that seem to be, you know, ubiquitous all over the state. You know, the backyard, and I, I believe in this past session, they, they passed something that, that dealt with growing food in your front yard and to make that legal. Of course, you, you know, you always run into the homeowners associations and, you know, that what they can pass in Tallahassee is one thing, but to see an enacted and implemented that's going to be a that's going to be a challenge yeah I think you know like I said people don't even understand the value of it or what it puts into your children one of my fondest memories growing up like I said I would go with my grandmother over to to Big Stone Gap Virginia to my great-grandparents house where they lived very humbly they farmed they grew a lot of their own stuff my great-grandmother who we called Big Mama affectionately even though she weighed about 90 pounds (laughs) there was nothing big about her Um, But she even cooked in, like, I mean, she had a wood stove. She didn't cook on a conventional stove or anything like that. And so whenever, you know, she would prepare a meal for us, which was all the time she was constantly cooking, to be able to say, you know, Big Mama, I want a tomato with this. And Well, how do you run out in the yard and get you one? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, for my my big daddy, her husband, to say, well, sweetheart, where's the onions? We'll go out in the yard and get you some. You know, you didn't have to get in the car and go to the store and plan a trip and make a list and then, you know, get there and look for, okay, you know, do I want to buy organic? And what does this label mean? All of that was taken away. You could just step right off your back porch, right into your right into your yard, and it was right there and available. But like I said, you have all of these different organizations and associations that have come in, and they've just, they really have robbed us, in my opinion, of some of the finer things in life and maybe it's just you know the 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 country girl in me that grew up that way that has a an appreciation for it and 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 if you know people haven't experienced that then clearly they wouldn't appreciate it but there's just something so 
incredible about going and pulling something out of your yard that you grew fresh, the way it tastes, the way it feels, and you nurtured it. It's yours. And to me, it just makes it taste better. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm a little biased, but <laughs> that's just, you know, that's my opinion. Chuck, I mean, what do you see, like, for, for the future of Florida and the natural resources and wildlife? What are what are your thoughts? What do you foresee for the future? Well, more people. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that, right? There's always that. <laughs> that that's a pretty safe prediction. Yes, I, I think um, that we could bank on that one. One of the things that... It, it kind of disturbs me that's going on right now is uh, this past session, the legislature passed a bill to explore building three new toll roads mm-hmm. in uh, Florida, starting from southwest Florida and coming up through central Florida and then from central Florida over to one that runs along the west coast to to the Florida-Georgia border, to a, a town in Georgia that has no idea that this toll road's coming. Why? I'm not really sure why we're building this road. Revenue. Uh, revenue. That's it. It's, you know, it's a toll road, and it's it's going to be using the entire turnpike system to pay off the bonds to build it. But I really don't see the necessity for it. The people who live in areas that this series of toll roads is going through they don't want it they're going to the meeting saying we're not just talking about normal people we're talking about commissioners and school board members and they're saying we don't we don't want this toll road and it keeps going it's kind of has a a life of its own one of the problems when you hatch something like this i mean it was kind of like a, a legislative frankenstein that uh, they put the uh, paddles on and it came to life and and now it's not dying. It's like even if everyone doesn't want it, except for a few of the wealthier people in in this state, it seems like it's all we can do as individuals is direct the path and, and maybe get it to veer uh, five degrees one way or another. But one one thing that I've seen over the course of my advocacy, and one of the unfortunate things is sometimes these roads head straight for conservation land mm-hmm. because they look at that conservation land as free or useless in their opinion or useless, and because there's no cost to it, it's going through a force that the state already owns or the county already owns. It makes the calculation as to whether or not the toll road will pay for itself over the long term, more likely. And so they purposely aim for conservation lands to get the numbers to go up over a 51% probability that over the course of its life, this toll road will pay for itself. And this is exactly what we should not be doing is running toll roads through conservation land uh, we should be buying more conservation land, not taking away from what we have. But it, it's it's difficult sometimes when things like this pick up ahead of steam. You know, they call them freight trains in uh, Tallahassee. Right. Everybody gets on the freight train and uh, come on, we're going to do this and uh, it's full steam ahead. Full steam ahead, and you know, of course. All the road builders line up, and they're like, yeah, let's build this. Yeah, we got to do this. Um, 
but w- one of the impacts of of toll roads is they're kind of a a Berlin Wall of biodiversity. They stop because generally you put fences up to keep wildlife off the road. They stop animals from crossing this highway that's going to basically bisect Florida, and uh, then you end up with with uh, pockets that are dealing with a lack of biodiversity. So it you know they say oh well we can build a overpass. But when it comes right down to it, the overpass adds to the cost, which reduces the probability that it's going to pay for themselves. So sometimes those things on the final plan are, are X'd out because they're too expensive. This road, this series of three toll roads, is probably the worst idea. Mm. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> right now uh, for Florida if you were to ask me, but, you know, it, it exists. So we, we're dealing with toll roads, and we're dealing with eutrophication of our waterways and climate change, overpopulation. It's so important that uh, all of us be aware of what's going on and speak up. I agree wholeheartedly. And to all of you listening today that, that really are on board with what Chuck and I are discussing and you want to make an impact, you want to get involved, you want to support this cause. There are tons of ways that you can get involved. Uh, Chuck, do you want to give them your information or how they can support or get behind Rights of Nature? Sure. I'm a big fan of, of Facebook. Yes. Social media is where it's at right now. You know, it's it's a it's a great thing and it's, it's a harmful thing at the same time. But uh, when it's used for good, it can be uh, a great thing. But we have a, a group called Florida Rights of Nature and it's on Facebook, and, and you just ask to join it, and I will make sure that you, you get in and get into the conversation. We're in uh, uh, so many places right now. It's, it's growing. We just started this in April of this year, this effort, and I think we're in something like seven different counties right now. And it's one of those things just like when we were talking that it, it, it just makes so much sense, the, uh, the restoration of rights for nature and uh, to give nature the, the legal right to exist. So I, I would encourage your listeners to join in the conversation, to, to add their opinion as it develops. Absolutely. And I'm just going to go back and kind of reiterate what Chuck was saying earlier. You know, it, it's, it's up to us. We are we're the ones that, that have to speak up to make a change, to get our, our congressmen and our legislator to listen to our thoughts and our opinion. It's up to you to educate your children on the importance and your family and your friends of really uh, why it's important to reserve our natural resources. So if you like this topic, if, if you want more information, you can always get in touch with me. My name is Jessica Stipe. I'm your host. I'm the Education and Outreach Director of Florida Organic Growers and Consumers. You can go on our website, you can leave comments, you can leave questions, you can leave suggestions. If you have other things that you'd like to hear about, you know, let me know. I'll be, I'll be glad to address those issues. If you'd like to hear more information from Chuck, please leave those comments there as well. And I'll gladly put you in touch with him. As always, we thank you for listening and just keep, you know, keep in mind your voice matters. Thanks for listening. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. 
please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support. 